The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Well, I hope you've had a relaxing morning so far because uh, we're going to be travelling fairly fast. If I begin to talk so fast, you just can't... I'm just, it's become a... Bleh, just... I can calm down. Uh, the reason for that is we're going to try and do something which is a little weird for City Bible Forum. Um, if you're here for the first time, it mightn't seem unusual. But what we normally do is open up uh, a part of the Bible and just see what it's saying to us about God and about our life here so we can uh, reflect on it sensibly. I was originally going to speak from the passage that was read, which in some contexts would be a terrific passage to focus our thoughts on, to compare Muhammad and Jesus. Who are they, why have they come, etc. But then as I reflected on it, I thought it's a little unfair because it would be immediately to set over all the evidence we're going to look at a particularly Christian perspective. And if you're not aware of that, uh, how your perspective can constrain evidence that mightn't fit, it can be accidentally unfair. So I thought I shouldn't do that. We are going to have on the screen here, and as you can see by the terrible little notes you've got, uh, a list of comp comparisons. So that's what we're going to do this, uh, this week. Next week we'll be more relaxed together if you can come back next week. So we're not going to compare Muslims and Christians... Um, my understanding of Islam with my understanding of Christianity, uh, questions of history, because frankly, most of our knowledge of history or our knowledge of Muslims or Christians is in very, very narrow, um, very, very culturally specific. You may have only ever met gloriously lovely Christians and been outdone on the business deal by a shrewd Muslim businessman. You may not like Muslims for that reason. You might have had vice versa. That's not the issue today. We're really going to try and do, and I'm going to do this as honestly as I can. And having become a Christian, uh, I, who was once a very good liar, and probably could still remember how to do it without too much trouble, uh, I'm, not, I'm frankly not allowed to. You can't argue the case for Jesus by lying. That's okay in some belief systems. You can distort the truth in order to support the truth. Uh, not when you become a disciple of Jesus. So I'm going to work really hard to do this. We're going to look not at... Muslims, Christians, we're going to try in these few minutes to look at Jesus, Muhammad. That's what we're going to try and do. What were they like? What did they say? What did they do? Those sorts of questions. How are we going to do that? Well, we're going to look at, uh, to look at Jesus, we're going to look at the earliest, most respected Christian sources. We're going to let them speak. You might think, well, of course. But here's the part you might never have had a chance to do, and that is, to hear what the earliest Islamic sources say about Muhammad. And this is a thing I think that uh, many people of either religion may not have done enough of. Um, we need to be careful of dogma. Uh, whether or not some of us have got a dogma that's going to make it hard to look at either of these people honestly. We dislike them both or we dislike one. I think one of the things amongst my friends, who I just think of as Sydney Morning Herald, ABC, SBS readers, is a terrific fear... Uh, of, of uh, being Islamophobic, uh, Hansenism, or whatever you want to call it. I don't want to pick on poor old Pauline. But that sort of view that, that this ignorant, redneck, xenophobic fear of Islam, because it comes from over there. Well, of course, Jesus is also Middle Eastern, so they all come from over there if you live in Australia. In fact, everything, not so much, comes from over there. 
But so we just got to not allow our dogma, the dogma that some of my friends that say, all religious leaders are the same. Don't confuse me with the facts. I'm hoping none of us would do that accidentally or deliberately. We're going to try and uh, overcome our own dogma and just look as objectively and as fairly as we can. I've been working on this project in various forms for 25 years. I've been reading Islamic books. I've been listening to various scholars. I've been dropping in at mosques to test with uh, the teachers there whether or not my understanding was fair or whether or not I've misread. It's very easy to misread uh, in various ways another person's point of view. So that's what we're going to do. Now, how do we get to the sources? Well, hoping that the technology will do the right thing and I'll do the right thing and push the right button. No, that doesn't do it. Let's try this button. How about that one? Ah, that's looking promising. Entirely my fault. Right, where do you find the earliest sources about Jesus? It's, it's very simple to find. There, the, the 27 books, the earliest books about Jesus, have all been gathered into one book. Some people don't realise that the Bible is not a book in a sense. It's a portable library. It's uh, written by about 40 or so different writers. There's 27 books in the New Testament, which include the four Gospels, which as the 20th and 21st century has gone on, we realise that a lot of the prejudices against the Gospels in the 19th century are just rubbish in terms of dating and how close they were to it. So, but whether or not you like the New Testament, we're going to at least listen to what they say about Jesus. Not what Muslims say about Jesus, but what Jesus and the guys who were around him said, the guys who were his companions, his disciples. Now, when we're going to look at Islam, it, it is actually much more complicated. It's taken me some years to work this out. Now, let me just say something about comp- complexity versus simplicity. When I say something is more complex and more difficult than something that is more simple, that is not a pejorative. Right? Because something is complex, as against simple, doesn't make it either right or wrong. So the Christian view of God, Muslims and Christians share the view passionately that there is only one God, one creator, one Lord of all, one judge of all, like it or not. We're all, at that point, Christians and Muslims and Jews, we stand shoulder to shoulder. But then the Christian understanding of God is much more complex than the Islamic understanding of God. Now, that's not saying that the Christian view is right or wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? To be complex or simple is not anything other than a statement of fact. To get to the sources of... How can we look at what the sources say about the source of Islam is just more complicated with Islam. And uh, Muslims will... uh, Muslims who understand their faith, because there are Muslims who understand their faith and Christians who understand their faith. There are people on both teams who don't. So it's not just a question, as I thought for years, New Testament versus Quran, or New Testament in comparison to the Quran. Because when you pick up and read the Quran, this is what I got when I visited the mosque some years ago to try and clarify a point about Mecca and Medina texts within the Quran. They gave me this beautiful uh, copy of the Quran. Um, it's, it, it's just not like the New Testament. If you pick it up and read it, there's no guide to when various... Uh, surahs or chapters as as English people would call them when surahs were given to Muhammad Um, so the first chapter uh, doesn't it's not the first thing that was said to Muhammad so the last um, surah that was revealed to the prophet to Muhammad was is surah 9 so it's just they're just in terms of length which is a perfectly sensible way to organize things but so there's no understanding of the context in which a surah is given. Well, where do you find that? Because context in all sorts of things determines the meaning. Well, you find it in things, two areas. Uh, that's a copy of one of the sets of the hadiths. 
The hadiths are the sayings of the prophet. They all begin with a, with a line, of the, sort of the genealogy of where did um, Bukhari get this from? And he says, um, so-and-so heard, so-and-so heard, so-and-so heard, so-and-so who heard the prophet say. And then Islamic scholars will then work out a number of things about the historical reliability of this saying. Now, there are some sayings of the prophet that um, Sunni and Shiite and the various parts of those uh, communities are all agreed on. There are many where they don't agree. There are all sorts of arguments that go on amongst Islamic scholarship about which hadiths are reliable. There are sort of six classical collections of hadiths. There are other ones. So perhaps the most common statement from the hadiths that Westerners have heard is the one about where Muhammad is reported to have saying in one of the sayings when coming back from a battle, we're now going from the lesser jihad to the greater jihad. Right? It's a saying, it's not, it's not in the Quran, it's, it's in the hadiths. But one of the interesting things to work out, well, how reliable is that? Well, it's not in either of the six great classical collections. So it's a very unreliable hadith. In fact, it's hardly worth, I would have thought, even saying if it's not in Bukhari or Muslim and these other things. So the hadiths are critical because they will give us the context for the Quran, the statements of God. The third thing is, and this is the one I've been reading and, and learning on, is the Sira, S-I-R-A. These are the sort of the biographies. They're like the Gospels of Jesus, where you actually get the life story of the, of, of the prophet. They normally start a bit before and then go a tiny bit after. I've been reading what I've been led to believe by Islamic scholars and friends is the earliest that we have, which is Ibn Ishaq, uh, through a guy called... Uh, Ibn Hisham, I'm, so, I'm sure I'm saying his name wrongly, but he's not here to correct me. But, um, and where you can actually read these lives of the prophet. Now, there are a number of them. They're crucial to understand the hadiths, to understand the Quran. So, you see, it is a more complicated thing. There's more debate. And sometimes, uh, you know, uh, it's hard to know what you can take seriously and what you can't. And sometimes, to be honest, in my discussion with Muslims, I felt... Every time I say something from the Hadiths or, uh, say, Ibn Ishaq that they don't like, they simply tell me that's not accurate. It doesn't feel as if there's much of a control going on at the common and popular level. So that's, um, that's what we're going to be looking at, those three, and uh, in contrast and comparison with the New Testament. Now, watch this ad. This is an ad that came out from Muslims last year. To save one life is as though you have saved that's from the Quran. Show kindness to your parents, just as they cherished you in childhood. That's from the Quran. Give in charity of the good things you earn. Even a smile is charity. Explore the real values of Islam at mypeace.com.au. Now you notice the third statement is not from the Quran, but it's put forward by My Peace, a fairly, a fairly respectable Islamic. Uh, communication group. Dia is the founding father of it who was here last week and was here with us a, a year ago. Um, two from the Quran, one from the Hadiths. Uh, and very often what we hear people talk about Muhammad says, Muhammad does, it's not the Quran. Just helpful to know that. It's not saying it's right or wrong. Um, I remember when that ad came out, I did as you might expect, I got my Quran out to look at the statements that were given. And this is one of the things I think that some people have uh, problems with when they look at um, questions about the Quran. It's only the most uneducated twit would suggest that there are not magnificent and noble and beautiful things said in the Quran. There are, of course there are. 
But it's that statement that's quoted about, you know, to save one is to save the whole of humanity, which is actually a statement I've not always found all that persuasive. But if you read it in the Quran, the next verse, so that sounds good and it is quite a nice sentiment. It's actually a statement that it's an old Jewish proverb. But the next verse says this, verse 33. Verse 32 is quoted. Verse 33 says this, The recompense for those who wage war against Allah and his messenger and do mischief in the land is only that they shall be killed or crucified or their hands and their feet be cut off from the opposite sides or be exiled from the land. That is their disgrace in this world and a great torment is theirs in the hereafter. Now I think that's... I mean, I was shocked to see a nice statement followed by one of the more harrowing statements I would have thought that if you are an opponent or seen to be an opponent, and that's always arguable, at what level are you seen to be an opponent of Islam? Uh, you're only to be either killed, crucified, or have hands and feet cut off on opposite sides. And this is uh, one of the things is to keep reading everything in context. Well, let's, uh, let's move on. Let's see if this next part of the technology works for us. Now, you can see you've got a, 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 a chart there. Now, what I'm going to do is, so this is the beauty of coming on Thursday, not Wednesday, um, I'm going to hand out, have at the back if you want it, um, a four-page thing. I didn't want to hand it out because I know for some of you it would be impossible to listen. You'd be busily reading away and, you know, um, turning into the aeroplanes, whatever you do with bits of paper. But this will take you back to some of the sources. It's only a draft. I'm not, I don't know. I actually don't know who is an expert. Lots of people who claim to be experts when you grill them aren't. Um, I'm not but I'm a, I'm a student trying to learn and you can take it away and have a look for yourself. Well, just because I don't know how much we know and how much we don't, let's, let's skim really fast, doing a comparison, not of the religions, but of the lives and teachings of the men who are, without a doubt, the most influential men in history. Muhammad, born 57 AD, that's 570 years after, roughly around Jesus' birth. His father was already dead before he was born. His mother died when he was six. He was put into the hands of his grandfather who lived for two years. He was then looked after by his uncle who was a merchant in Mecca. He was famous for being an honest and serious-minded uh, young man. In his travels, he met with and talked with many Jews and many Christians. Uh, Nestorians and another one that I've forgotten. On the whole, they're the, they're the sort of um, seventh century equivalent of Jehovah's Witnesses. So the Christians that Muhammad spent most of his time with were Christians, well, they, I'm not sure if he couldn't call them Christians, they were people who didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God. Right? As you'll see, that if you think that religion is evolved from man, you'll see how that may be connected. He marries at the age of 25, one of his previous bosses, and um, at the age of 40, he is called to be a prophet. has an encounter with the angel Gabriel, um, same angel that, you know, that is alleged to have spoken to Mary and other places in the Bible itself. He doesn't preach for three years. He, keeps it, he just talks with friends. But in, after three years, he begins to preach in Mecca against the polytheism that was rife in Mecca. And he immediately runs into trouble. Um, Mecca was a trading city and it was a city that made its money out of religion. So don't mess with the religion because you're messing with people's money. Muhammad got into trouble. He did, they didn't like his teaching on caring for the poor, etc., and for orphans. Um, it wasn't much fun for him. 623, he heads off to Medina, 400 kilometres away. This is the beginning of, his, of the Islamic calendar. So you know that for Muslims, it's about 1450-something or other. It's not from the birth of Muhammad. It's not from the call to be a prophet. It's from the, the, the pilgrimage he does to begin the first Islamic civilization at Medina. He, there is the first time uh, Allah gives him permission to use the sword 
There was bloodshed in Mecca, and according to the Islamic sources, it was a group of Muslim guys were being mocked by some polytheists, and one of the Muslim guys picked up the jawbone of an ash and whacked this guy. And so Ibn Ishan and this man here, um, a book I read a couple of years ago, Martin Ling's uh, Life of the Prophet, on the earlier sources, this man's a Sufi Muslim scholar. And they're both quite clear that the, that was the first blood that was shed in Mecca. But here in Medina, Allah gives Muhammad the, uh, the okay to use the sword. About seven years later, he finally conquers Mecca after a series of battles. Some of the Muslims won against great odds, some they lost. Four years later, Muhammad dies, aged about 24, uh, sorry, after 24 years of being a prophet. The life of Jesus, born about 5 BC, that's a, a fun bit of numerical play which uh, we can talk about later if you like it's a well-known fact that the little monk who worked out the ADBC thing 600 years after Jesus living in Italy without the internet simply got it wrong uh, but he did pretty good all things considered so we actually think Jesus was probably born before Christ that's a little joke um, he was a refugee in Egypt came back grew up in a nowhere town called Nazareth in north in north Israel up near Lebanon uh, at 27 he is baptized God speaks overtly and loudly and uh, three years later, after teaching and healing and healing and healing and healing, uh, he is executed. That's the lifestyle. Secondly, their deaths. Um, Muhammad dies at the age of 64. Uh, the Islamic sources suggest, and Muhammad certainly thought it was a, a slow result of a poisoning, which he avoided, that some poison being put into a joint of the lamb that he was eating, and he died with his head in the lap of his favourite wife, Aisha. Jesus died at the age of 30 to 34, naked, on a Roman cross, a form of execution reserved for scum. Can you visit their graves? Yes, if you're a Muslim, you can visit the grave of Muhammad at Medina. Next to it is space, apparently, for the grave of Jesus. When Jesus returns, as Muslims believe he will, uh, they believe his mission was um, half finished because uh, people tried to kill him. They don't believe they succeeded. Uh, he'll come back, he'll smash all the crosses, kill all the pigs, tell all the Christians to stop worshipping him and then live for a while, die and be buried next to Muhammad. You cannot go to the grave of Jesus because the early Christians didn't care about the grave of Jesus because he wasn't there long enough. Uh, some people who don't understand history said, aha, Christianity can't be true, we don't know where he was buried. No, it's a bit like I don't really know which floor it was in King George V Hospital that my daughters were born. It was very significant. They are only there for a split second. Um, the fact that the early Christians never had a sacred site for the burial of Jesus is one of the strange bits of history that trained historians say, that's weird, it may back up resurrection, it might not. Well, moving on. Um, marriage, wives. Uh, Jesus had none, of which the New Testament says nothing. It really, it's, it's not a big deal, he just didn't, as John the Baptist didn't and other people didn't at various times. Muhammad, on the other hand, um, was married to Kahedja. I'm sorry about my grip on these, on these names, not very good. Uh, he, was, he was 25, she was 40. Uh, it was his only wife until she died, just before he left Mecca. Um, he then marries, and the next, the, the next three are the most outstanding wives, and there's a level of controversy around all three of them. Aisha, he marries when, he is, when she is six, just before he leaves Mecca. He's, it's Abu Bakr, one of his right-hand men's daughter. He doesn't have sex with her till she's nine. Now, it is true that in Arabia, people, particularly girls, did get married younger than they do in some other cultures, but it, there was some concern even in Islamic circles about the age of this, but it was okay in the end. Uh, she's a very important woman in the history of Islam. She's only 18 when Muhammad dies, and she's an influential, and she uh, sounds like, in the, in the um, lives of the Prophet, she sounds like a real character. She's quite cheeky at times. 
Zainab is another one of Muhammad's wives. She was married to his adopted son. There's a very clear story of uh, when Muhammad went to the house of his adopted son. He wasn't there. There's a sort of a chemistry between him and uh, his adopted son's wife. Um, God says it's okay for Muhammad to marry her. Uh, he does it by outlawing uh, adoption. That's why the, in Islamic cultures there's no such thing as real adoption because there was a very clear thing in Arabic culture. You don't marry, you can't marry your son's wife. The son was not happy. He wept a lot, but um, he believed it was from God, so he gave his wife to the prophet. Saifa is uh, another interesting story. On the first night they spent together, one of Muhammad's loyal soldiers spent the whole time walking around the tent. Why? She was a very beautiful woman. There was some argument actually about who was going to get her, whether one of Muhammad's right-hand men, Muhammad swapped two of her cousins for her. Um, the Islamic army had destroyed this Jewish tribe. It's all, it's all in the um, lives of the prophet. It's quite unashamedly told. Um, her father had been tortured to death at the command of Muhammad. It's, it's all in Ibn Ishaq. You can read it for yourself. Her husband had been killed. Many other members of her family had been killed. Uh, she marries Muhammad that night, or is married to Muhammad that night. One of his friends is suspicious, so he stands guard of the tent. Uh, which shows his devotion to the prophet. He has eight other wives, of which many are, seem, you can argue, a good case that Muhammad married them to look after them. Um, some of them were um, much older than these other ones, and, but he finished up with about 12 wives. Your ordinary Muslim can only have four at one time. You've got to treat them justly and fairly, although the Quran itself says you can't do it, but that's the, that's the call. Muhammad has given special dispensation. Jesus has none. Again, this isn't saying right or wrong, it's just the, one of the great differences. How they called into active service. Uh, Muhammad has this story, which is not in the Quran, it's in the Hadiths and the, and the, um, uh, the biographies, where he, has, he meets Gabriel. He's not sure if it's God or the devil who's calling him. Uh, Gabriel crushes him three times. Uh, calling him to recite what Gabriel wants to recite to him. He goes back home terribly distressed and frightened and it's his wife and his Christian heretic uncle who assure him that he is a prophet. I must say for me as a Christian, although it is true that Muslims will often say they respect all the prophets, it is true that almost without exception the Muslims that I know never read the other prophets and it is, it is stark the difference between the calling of Muhammad if, it's, if he's the same God who calls Isaiah, Moses, Ezekiel, it is so different. Uh, I can go through the details later if you like. But that's the call. Whereas Jesus, on the other hand, doesn't go from being a merchant to a messenger. He's always the son of God. It's quite clear. Jesus says to his parents, did you not know I had to be in my father's house? Unprecedented for a Jewish person to use that individual intimacy between himself and God Almighty. So when he is baptized and goes from being you know, an ordinary Jewish, well, not quite ordinary, but a, you know, a Jewish man doing his thing to going into active service, it's when he gets baptized and God says to him, this is my beloved son. John the Baptist says, there is God's son. It's an identification. Then he goes and does his stuff. It's quite different. Did they write anything? No. Neither of them wrote it. Well, Muhammad was illiterate. Muslims are proud of the fact that their prophet couldn't read or write because they say that's one of the proof of the fact that the Quran is from God. An illiterate man couldn't write like that. It must have been received from God. Jesus, on the other hand, almost certainly could write. Well, we, I'd say certainly one, for two reasons. One is 
the, the Jews of Israel at that point had a very fine education system. They've always been a people, of, or at least for a long time, valued education enormously. There was a thoroughgoing school system where Jesus grew up. And um, also there's one time in the Gospel when he writes. Does anyone know when that is? John 8, the woman accused of adultery. Jesus uh, asks a question and then writes in the dust. We don't know what he wrote, but it just passes the note that he wrote. But he doesn't write anything like, here's my autobiography, which we might like him to, but he just didn't. Well, moving right along. Um, that's the call into active service. Now, in terms of them both being people who clearly spoke about God, what, what's their most famous sermon or their final sermon? Uh, most Muslims would agree it's uh, Muhammad's last sermon, about a year before he dies, a sermon on Mount Arafat, uh, quoting from Ibn Hashim. There's, there's quite a few things. We'll, we'll get to it later on, or we mightn't, but you can take it home and read it. Um, it's, a, it's a very impressive speech. But he does say at one point, after today there will no longer be two religions in Arabia. I descended by Allah with the sword in my hand and my wealth will come from the shadow of my sword and the one who disagrees with me will be humiliated and persecuted. That's in Ibn Hashim's um, biography. Clearly the most famous sermon that Jesus gives is the Sermon on the Mount and a number of Muslim men that I've watched and spoken with, the Sermon on the Mount is the thing that shocked them where you have things from Jesus like blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the gentle and the meek, uh, turn the other cheek, love your enemy, do good to those who hate you, beware of false prophets, by their fruit you will know them. And he finished up speaking of himself as the judge on the judgment day. Quite extraordinary. Uh, so that's their, probably their most uh, famous words. Now, just in, in brief, did they, urge, did they suggest we should care for the poor? Both of them very strongly. It's one of the reasons Muhammad was unpopular, right? because he said we must care for the poor. Do they believe in judgment day, heaven and hell? Both of them believe in that. Their the picture of heaven and hell is quite different, but they both believe in the reality of judgment day and heaven and hell. Do they both believe, what do they believe about should God come first, before family, before nation? Yes, both of them believe that God has the right to be undisputed first place in their lives. Perhaps two of the more important questions. What is their self-understanding? What is the way they speak about themselves, that they understand themselves? This is critical that if we say we respect these guys, we should listen to them. Well, with Muhammad, he, he constantly uses, and Allah uses these terms of him, that he is a prophet, a warner, a messenger, an apostle. Uh, Surah 29, I am only a plain warner. Interesting with Jesus, he never, ever once calls himself a prophet. And when people use the category of prophet about him, it's always clear in the Gospels they're wrong, as it is in Mark 8. It's a wrong category. Uh, he uses the phrase son of God or the son with reference to the father 80 times but the phrase that he uses more often only just is the phrase son of man. Now some people who've not cared to read it in context which is always a mistake in any situation think this is a more humble term. I mentioned here a couple of weeks ago in a talk on Daniel a friend of mine who said oh, we're having a debate about Jesus and he said you know you Christians should use Jesus' preferred phrase son of man, son of man. So I said well let's read it I'll just remind you, scholars are crystal clear this is who Jesus is talking about. It's the only son of man mentioned, really. Um, sorry, he's mentioned in Ezekiel and in Daniel. When Jesus says he's the son of man, this is who he's got in mind. In my vision at night I looked, and there, be, this is the prophet Daniel, there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, was led into his prison. He, that is the son of man, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power all peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is, not, is one that will never be destroyed. There ain't nothing humble about saying you're the son of man. To think that, that that's a humble statement is just to choose to be ignorant of the way that Jesus speaks and where he draws his ideas from. Now we do need to rip on so there's some time for questions. Um, the second thing, important thing is to think, what do they think they come for? Um, Muhammad is quite clear that his job is to recite what Gabriel recites to him. That's his main job. And to set to be a sort of a walking embodiment of the Quran. His, the example of Muhammad is critical in Sharia law. All sorts of things Muslims do because that's what Muhammad did. He's more central to the way they live than I had realized up until the last few years. Jesus is quite different. Again and again, Jesus says he came to die, to lay down his life. The central ritual that Christians do together, week after week, year after year, from the very beginning, is the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the wine, speaking of his death. Um, this is one of the sort of irreconcilable differences between Jesus and Muhammad. That Muhammad in Surah 4 says very clearly that Jesus was not crucified. Therefore, he very clearly cannot raise again from the dead. And yet Jesus says, I came to die and the proof of me being who I say I am is that I will rise again from the dead. There's a fairly strong difference of opinion. Now, I'm going to need to move on, friends, so I'm sorry about that. Um, there is some material you can take. It's disturbing material about the place of violence in Muhammad's life, in the Quran, in the Hadiths, and also in the earliest biographies, in complete and utter and total contrast to Jesus. But we will come back to that in two weeks. Uh, let me just go to... Just, this, just quickly, and then I will shut up. Um, I'm, I'm personally shocked by this and don't know quite what to make of it. You, have, like I, have heard probably again and again, Islam is a religion of peace. Islam is a religion of peace. Islam is a religion of peace. We hear that again and again. Well, I want to suggest to you that is simply not true of Muhammad. I'm not saying Muslims are all warlike people that can't be trusted. That's, that's rubbish. I'm not saying that. There are lots of peaceful Muslims. But to say that what Muhammad is on about is about peace just beggars belief when you look at the Quran, the Hadiths, and the lives of the Prophet. I've been asking scholars, Muslims, going to website after website, reading books from Muslims, about this question of peace. It's, the word hardly turns up in the Quran. So I went to one of the largest theological libraries in Australia and got out 20 different encyclopedias of Islam, Cambridge University, some written by teams of scholars, some written by Muslims. In the 20 encyclopedias, we just open the thing, so if you, you, you look it up, you can, there are encyclopedias and Zoroastrian and all sorts of things. These are great classic works. Not one reference in all 20 encyclopedias to peace in Islam. That shocked me, frankly. Uh, that it, and yet, after the most recent riots, and I'm not blaming you know, Muhammad for that, you can read for yourself and work out what side he might have been on that riot. But the Islamic spokesman, the PR people were saying, Muhammad says a lot about peace. I've been searching for ages. It's just not there. But there are many calls and many examples. There are assassination lists that he puts out and people who are assassinated as a result of it. Whereas Jesus, you know, in the New Testament, 90 separate uses of the word peace. Um, Jesus called in the Bible the Prince of Peace. His message is, is summarised as announcing peace. This is, I find, a disturbing difference and I'm still trying to make sense of because I don't want to say to people, nonsense. 
But in terms of the facts of Muhammad the man, according to the Quran, according to the Hadiths, according to the earliest lives of the Prophet, it's counterfactual. Now, in the end, as I do wind up in the next few seconds, the question is, of course, to be people, men and women, who use our God-given brains to look at what is true and real about ourselves, about Muhammad, about Jesus. There are some remarkable similarities and there are some huge differences. And I, I want to just encourage us to keep reading from the sources rather than receiving second-hand opinions. Okay. Um, I've gone to quite a few lectures where Muslims have spoken at Christianity, and if you're a Muslim here, they say congratulations for not jumping up and saying, ah, it's very frustrating when you hear someone else um, outlining the position that you hold dear. Um, and I hope I haven't caused too much grief. How did Muhammad convince others he was a prophet? Well, again, you can find this out for yourself by various ways. There is a certain magnetic rightness when you tell people that there is only one God. So part of what Muhammad was doing was, was that. He was saying, look, there is only one God. Clearly there is, and there's that. And I think also he was, he was a very impressive man. All accounts are, both by look and mannerisms, he was a very impressive guy. Um, but apart from that, you just read various people become... I mean, one guy became a Muslim because his brother at Muhammad's command rose up and killed a Jewish man who was in front of him. And his brother came in. You can, this is in Medina. His brother came in. This is in Ibn Ishaq. It's not some Christian propaganda. His brother came in and said, You fool, we have fat rounds our bellies because of this man. You've killed the man through whom we get most of our business. And the brother said to him, I would kill you if the prophet told me to. And the brother who had been bashing his brother for killing the Jewish businessman, said, well, anyone that can create that level of passion in my brother must be a prophet. So he became a Muslim. Now, that's very different to many others. So I think there's a diversity of reasons. But there's a certain, there's a moral integrity, there's a purity of life that Islam brings that is very attractive. Did Muhammad treat women well? <clears throat> Did Jesus treat women well? Well, when you leave... Craig, can you go and work some of those out near the... Um, if we run out, we'll, we'll bring these again. There's a series of quotes. I think what needs to be said about Muhammad is it seems that compared to people in his day, yes, he did say to the men of Islam in his final speech that your women have rights, but also they're not allowed to talk to people you're not happy with them talking to and things like that, which we may or may not be too cheerful about. But he does also say a number of deeply disturbing things about women. So in a number, and there are three or four references to this in various of the hadiths. He says when, I, when he went on his ride up into heaven and across to Jerusalem, the night vision, he, he says, I saw, into, I saw into heaven and it was full mostly of poor people. I saw into hell and it was filled mostly with women. Um, and there is a, there's, a, there's a number of references in that sheet. So it's not, it's not that everything is grim or everything is beautiful. It is simply nonsense to say, as um, some people say, that you know, he came as the great liberator of women. That's, that's 20th century propaganda. You can't read the sources and uh, take that view, I wouldn't have thought. But relatively. But Jesus, on the other hand, I think is, I wouldn't say he came as a great liberator of women, but the way that he treats women, he has extended theological discussions with women on his own, um, he encourages women to learn from him where the tradition in Israel was for them not to learn. He chooses to make his first witness of his resurrection a woman. Not because she found him playing hide and seek. He found her. 
So Mary, the first witness of the resurrection of Jesus, was a, was a person who had no weight in court. Uh, women in most Jewish courts couldn't appear as witnesses um, at that time. Jesus chose to appear to her first and then sent her to the other apostles. So she was known in the early church as the apostle to the apostles. So there is there's something quite beautiful and, and deeply revolutionary in the way that Jesus treats women. Um, one last comment about the, the question of isn't Islam, doesn't the word Islam mean peace? And as I've mentioned in the notes, that really no one who knows anything about uh, Arabic would ever pretend that's the case. Although I read an article today, um, handed out at some of the great mosques in Istanbul, where they said Islam you know, means peace. That's a, that is a lie, or someone's been fibbed to. Um, it's got, Arabic works with a series of root letters, there's a number of letters, and you can put different vowels in between it. So Islam is made from SLM, or in English, uh, as salam, which is the Arabic word for peace. But if you, if you put salama, if you put an A on the end, uh, far from meaning peace, it means to be bitten by a snake or to tan leather. I say that because I think it's the most helpful example to say that because something has a similar root, in no way means in Arabic that the words are similar. And anyone who knows anything about the language would, would never argue that. Lots, lots of people say it because they've been fibbed to. But it's part of what feels like uh, something less than straightforward is happening. So, but don't take my word for it. Read the Quran, but do read the Gospels. Most Australians assume they know it's in the Gospels. They actually know nothing about either. Uh, do read the Gospels and do your own comparison. Do read the Hadiths. You can find them on the web. Just go read through some of them. Do get yourself a copy of Ibn Ishaq and have a look. It's hard to track down. I managed to get one. But uh, next week, we'll, and the next two weeks, we'll look at some specifics. Again, going to Jesus and Muhammad on questions uh, next week. How different and how similar is their pathway to God? Can they both be right? Are they both right? Or perhaps both of them are wrong? Okay. Uh, thank you for your patience. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.